Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz back in action tonight. We're going to have a lot of basketball tonight. BYU scheduled to play Portland tonight. The Jazz are playing the Hawks in Atlanta. Utah is playing Arizona. Uh, Scotty G has had to make the trip to Fresno for Utah State and Fresno State. we got a lot of basketball. Uh, let's start with Tim Lacombe. Jazz pre, half, and post game. Join us real quick for a few minutes near the end of yesterday's show. Here's Tim on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Tim, good morning. Good morning, guys. Tim, we want to hit you with the question of the day. What's your confidence level that the Jazz have restored order? You're doing pre-half and post, so other people can turn off a game in Denver when they get disgusted, or a game versus Detroit because they think it's completely in hand. But your butt's sitting in that studio chair watching every minute of every game. So, what's your confidence level that the Jazz have restored order? Uh, can you just drill down on restore order what does that mean yeah that's an excellent question was uh, your confidence uh shaken to any level with the loss maybe you don't think there was any order to restore that it was just the natural board of things you're bound to lose and someone was gonna have a hot shooting night and you were you were gonna lose your edge one night and you were gonna lose a game so maybe you don't yeah, think sure. maybe you don't think order needed to be restored no i didn't think i, I was kind of more in that camp um you know while it was obviously you hate losing the denver arrival and everything else it's uh it was one that really kind of looked on the schedule like it may be a tough one just given all the circumstances you know for donovan and favors getting broken back into the lineup after two games out and you know that always does a little bit of something to rhythm regardless of or irregardless of you know ah. your intentions um i think the other thing is you know, that afternoon game after a, a home game, you know, to jump on the road and go out and play that thing uh, for an early start. You don't have a ton of those during the season. So that was another one that kind of I thought may be a little snafu for them. Um, but really what it took was a totally dominating shooting night from Denver. And I think it really did have more to do with Denver than the Jazz. I know you were associated with that great Utah program at a time that it was on top. And Majerus used to talk about this and and working for the newspaper and being there. I saw it. I saw the excitement that every arena would have when the Utes played. Can you speak to the idea? Because we had Joe Ingles talking about it a little bit. Now, Jazz is the best record in the league, and they're fighting for the best record and probably going to fight for the best record all season. So they're not a surprise. And, and teams and guys know who's good, who isn't. So the point being that they're going to get everybody's best shot. Now, what do the Jazz need to do to match it? Because clearly Denver was fired up for that game, and it got away from the Jazz a little bit right from the start. Yeah, I think, I mean, that is a a difference. But I think for the most part, you know, the Jazz have been viewed as a winning program, a winning organization for a long time. And um, it's one that, you know, as opposed to somebody you can kind of sneak up on, the Jazz really can't sneak up on anybody and haven't been able to for a while. Um, You know, for whatever reason, it's a team that people, um, you know, really see, well, I guess just on the history, see, see success for a long time. So, um, you know, I think it's something that, you know, if the Jazz are chasing the best record in the league, it's a great dialogue to have. And and hopefully, you know, teams are up to play them because that means uh, things are going well for them. 
So there seems to be a thing that uh, happens on this team where uh, guys are so unselfish they pass up open shots. And I've, I've slowly over the last, I don't know, couple of weeks really come to use that as the barometer of how well they're playing. I, I think when they're playing better, like they really get the first open shot and let it fly. And if that's on a two-on-two break, so be it. And if that's four seconds into a shot clock, well, that's the way it goes. If no one else gets to touch the ball in that possession, I don't care. But the when they, when they pass up an open shot and they get deeper into the clock, it seems like things kind of gum up and jam up. And sometimes it works out. Most of the time, it ends up being a problem. Are you seeing that, or am I up in the night? No, I totally agree. In fact, the, last night, the you know when Detroit pulled that thing back and got close, you know the way the Jazz broke that game was off two plays, one in transition to Bojan. Um, obviously, had a, a tip dunk you know, during that run and then uh, Boyan again from the corner in a half court set to seal it. And I think the combination of all those was, you know, right shot, right time. My first one was in transition. The second was after a set. Uh, they ran a great set, by the way, set us up ball screen, uh, put Boyan in the opposite corner and Rudy came in and pinned in the help, which was for the skip pass, which was just, it was a great design and perfect execution. And Boyan made the shot. Um, I think what's great with this team is that there's all sorts of different ways to score, but I agree with you when you see a guy pass up an open shot, which doesn't happen as much as maybe we thought last year, um, they probably aren't going to get as good a look as the shot clock runs down. Joe's also talking about Quinn, and I think the essence of coaching is putting your guys in position to succeed. Then it's up to them to go succeed. We saw that when Majerus was good about it. We saw that with Dave Rose giving Jimmer all that success. You know, I think Dave was the perfect coach for him at the time to allow Jimmer to do what he does. Speak to Quinn Snyder's ability to maximize the talents of the players he has. I've got a total respect for it. Um, You know, having... Like DJ said, you know, my my cans in the seat the entire game, uh, an hour before, an hour after. So you see a lot and you hear a lot. And um, I think the things that are the most impressive to me. Another one was brought up in the post game last night. Um, somebody asked Quinn about offensive rebounding, and um, you know it really fits with what this team wants to do. They want to find better, more efficient, and easier ways to score. Um, and they're rebounding the ball offensively really well this year. And I think a big reason is, you know, they're using the scatter report, see how people block out, um, see who leaks out, and see those as opportunities to maybe go steal an extra possession. Um, they're using, utilizing, the, I guess, the Euro foul and transition to slow down breaks um, when they can. And so I think that's just another level that coupled with his – like you talked about, DJ's, you know, he's allowing the guys to play with more freedom and, and score quicker in the shot clock. I think he just sees that he's got a, a really versatile lineup with a ton of shooting, really like a, an embarrassment of riches in, shoot, in the shooting department um, compared to the rest of the league. I mean, Detroit last night, if we had a three-point shooting contest, you know, that thing would have been over in the first five minutes. Um so he just he does he utilizes his strength he plays to it um, and I I really it's it's hard as a coach to get something set in a certain way to play and then tweak that and change it um, 
even though things are working pretty well, to try to find something better. And I feel like that's what Quinn's done. Since you stopped coaching at BYU, you've let the hair get longer. You let the facial hair go. I didn't recognize you famously at a golf tournament until, you know, there was a double take before I realized, hey, wait, that's Tim Lacombe. And I'm wondering, our next guest, and we got to go because John Clayton's going to join us next, but is that awesome. the greatest promo you've ever seen with the, the ponytail and the, and the pop? Oh, on dude. Right? Is that yeah. you? Is that going to be you in like five years? Probably. I, I mean, this isn't going to end, but I agree. That was so. That was that was when I actually belly laughed when I saw. I don't belly laugh a lot of commercials, but that one got me good. And John Clayton's a legend, by the way. Tim, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you, guys. There's Tim Lacombe. You'll hear him tonight as the Jazz play the Hawks. He's on the pre-half and post-game shows with Jake Scott. 5.30 tip tonight, pre-game at 4.30. When we come back, we're talking Super Bowl and big deals in the NFL with John Clayton. Is Taysom Hill the guy in New Orleans, assuming Breeze hangs it up? How quickly can the Patriots rebuild? What is Aaron Rodgers' future in Green Bay? Plus, everything you want to know about the Chiefs and the Bucks and Tom Brady. That's next. Patrick Mahomes, too. Who are we kidding? Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by John Clayton, Washington Post contributing NFL columnist and host on 710 ESPN in Seattle. John, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Good to have you on. We want to talk some uh, Super Bowl and NFL news with you. And, and let's start with the Super Bowl. This, uh, you know, the quarterbacks are so often the storyline. You got this meeting of uh, generations here. And is it a passing of the baton or a last stand by the GOAT? You know NFL history. Is there anything even close to this you can, you can go back and point to? I really can't because, I mean, you've got the old goat and then what might be the new goat in Patrick Mahomes, both Brady being the old goat. And really, when you think about you go through the years and the great quarterbacks, a lot of times they were all aligned in the same conferences. Like, for example, I mean, this would be you know like a Peyton Manning, Tom Brady Super Bowl, which, of course, obviously couldn't happen because they were both in the AFC. You go through with like John Elway and Jim Kelly and some of the great quarterbacks from the 80s. They were pretty much aligned in one conference. But to have kind of a matchup like this is so rare because, again, you know, you're talking greatness. And Tom Brady, obviously, with the uh, 33 playoff wins, uh, that's unmatched. The fact that he's now in his 10th Super Bowl. And now you have a Patrick Mahomes who's in his second Super Bowl, three championship games in the AFC, and the chance to get so much more. So, no, I think this, this is, that adds to the intrigue of this incredible game. There's always a lot of sub, subplots within the game, and Tom Brady's going to steal the attention wherever he goes, and obviously this year it's with the Buccaneers. But I'm wondering what you think of the matchup between the Kansas City offense and the Tampa Bay defense, because it seems like to a degree that the Tampa Bay defense has sort of been 
undervalued, and I think it's you know largely maybe to an extent of the star power of Tom Brady. Yeah, it's undervalued because it's so good in the front seven. I mean, the front seven, even with the return of Vita Vea, is uh, just fantastic. And then, of course, they got two great edge rushers in uh, Shaq Barrett and also uh, having Jason Pierre-Paul. But the one weakness that they have is in the secondary. Their coverage right now isn't that good. And you go back to the meeting in Week 12 where uh, Patrick Mahomes threw for over 460 yards. That's uh, And then their best cornerback is Carlton Davis, and Carlton Davis was beaten for over 180 yards, particularly by Tyreek Hill. So that's going to be the one concern. They'll get pressure on the quarterback. They'll stuff the run, but can they cover? John Clayton joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So Eric Fisher tears his Achilles, uh, Chiefs left tackle. They'd already lost their right tackle. They've, they've had injuries up and down the line throughout the year, which to a certain degree you just got to kind of put up with in the NFL. It's just the way things go. But at the same time, this does seem like it's a lot to handle right here at the end of the season. And you mentioned the edge rushers for the Bucks. Is the Is the Tampa Bay defense going to do – for Brady, what the Giants front four did to him in those two Super Bowls, can they can they swing this game? They could because what you're looking at is that go go back to the NFC Championship game was David Bakhtiari, the left tackle of the Packers. He was out with a knee injury, could not play, and so now you're looking at Eric Fisher with the torn Achilles, and then uh, the right tackle Mitchell Schwartz is on injured reserve. So now they're down two tackles. And you saw in that championship game that Aaron Rodgers was sacked five times. He had eight quarterback hits on him. And so there's a decent chance that in this game, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to probably survive maybe three or four sacks because you've got Mike Remmers uh, at left tackle now. He was the right tackle fill-in for Schwartz. And they had to take a, a guard uh, Andrew Wiley and move him to right tackle. And then you look at the fact that that whole offensive line that's going to be on the field, four of the five guys have been at least cut once in their career. But, again, Patrick Mahomes is so good, he can overcome a lot of that, but you know he's going to go down to the ground a few times. Well, we think of Rob Gronkowski, we think of his you know, possibly best all-time tight end, but you look at this postseason, he's been really quiet how much do you expect that to change, if any, in the Super Bowl? I think, that, and again, it's not that he's been quiet. Uh, it's just that you know when you have two great receivers like they have, you know, with Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin, you know, that doesn't get the ball much to the tight ends because, and then you got probably Antonio Brown if he is going to be healthy enough, being able to play and to go a little bit more three wide receivers. We saw at different stretches. Uh, during the season where it's like you know when they when they throw the ball to the two wide receivers it takes away from the tight end now that didn't happen in the week 12 game because you know Gronk and Cam Brayton had pretty good games I think they totaled up like about maybe 10 or 11 total passes to them but I think the likelihood is you're not going to see a lot of the tight ends involved in the passing game uh, and but mainly, again, that's because when you're throwing the ball to two good wide receivers who are healthy, you know, they take away from the chances to get the ball spread around as much. So Tom Brady uh, is incredible, obviously. 
Uh, and, you know, the, the touchdown-interception ratio is great. But when he did throw picks this year, he threw them in bunches. Uh, he had three against the Saints in one game, two in another. He had three against the Packers in the NFC title game. And he had two when he played the Chiefs earlier this year. Do you think he's going to be turnover-free, or do you think there are turnovers to be had, and that's going to be a big deal for the Chiefs when they get those takeaways? No, I think he's going to have some turnovers because uh, you can see it. You know, The no-biscuit, no-risk at offense of Brian, uh, Bruce Arians is one where he wants Brady to throw the ball deep. And when that happens... I mean, you're going to have a tendency to have interceptions. I mean, remember when Brady had the one stretch in the middle of the year where he threw about 27 passes at air yards of 21 yards or more? <clears throat> he had no touchdown, no completions, and three interceptions. Well, right now, Brady and Mahomes are the two most active quarterbacks in throwing 21 air yards downfield, you know, like 79 and 76, two of the top three. <clears throat> and so – Again, when you have the no biscuit, no biscuit, you have the tendency to have a possibility of some interceptions. Now, Brady's been good the second half of the season in getting completions, but still, I think he's still going to have some difficulty. And again, you look at the, what Steve Spagnuolo's done with the cornerbacks and man coverage, the defensive coordinator, I mean, they've done a really good job of covering. So I think he'll have a couple interceptions. Taking a big picture view of what Kansas City's been able to do, we know what they've done. It's remarkable. But looking ahead, you know, you're talking about Holmes. Obviously, he has time on his side. But you look at Roethlisberger. I think he had two Super Bowl titles by the time he was 26. Russell Wilson is in the Super Bowl early and should have won two, obviously. Uh, you know, haven't been able to get the job done since. How can we be, I don't know that sure is the right word, but how can we forecast that the Chiefs can keep this going if we, tw- if we want to make that argument? Yeah, I mean, it, it is going to be difficult because now, you know, Patrick Mahomes got the big salary, uh, highest paid quarterback, highest paid player in the league, and that takes away a lot of times with the cap from being able to add much in free agency and causes you sometimes to lose some players. But I think what you're looking at is that the, the, the Chiefs are run very well. And when you have the best quarterback, and you know you, you can arguably say that Mahomes might be the best quarterback, so he won't win the MVP. Aaron Rodgers is going to win it, but he's slightly better, I think, right now than uh, Rodgers. Is that uh, he gives you the opportunity every year to be able to be in the Super Bowl mix? I mean, you look at Tom Brady; that's what happened in New England. So that's like, but again, it's a difficult thing. But fortunately, Brett Veach, the general manager, does a very good job with the cap and personnel. Andy Reid's as good as there is as you're going to find as a coach. So they still have the ability to do it. But you're right. It's going to be a challenge to try to keep this run going. So if they're going to keep it going, uh, Tyreek Hill's probably got to play a big role. 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns in the 27-24 win in the regular season matchup. What are the Bucks going to do to, if not stop him, at least slow him down? Because those are outrageous numbers, and they can't let that happen again. Yeah, and if they try to just go cover one with a man coverage with Carlton Davis, it's going to be a big problem because Carlton's a 4-5-2 guy, and Tyreek Hill's just so fast and even so much better now with his route running that uh, it's going to be a one-on-one matchup. So I'd have to think they've got to find some way to double him to slow him down because he's still going to get his catches. I mean, Patrick Mahomes still is going to be able to do it. But if he, I mean, you saw how bad it was in that week 12 game with the uh, pass completions to Tyreek over Carlton Davis, he's got to do something. I don't know if he has to go cover two, but he's got to do something to double him up. 
So we saw this week Tom Brady, you know, 45, now beyond 45. I don't want to doubt him. How about you? Uh, you have to think it's going to catch up to him sometimes. I mean, you wondered, particularly at the end of the last two seasons, you know, his downfield throws, which he didn't do too much with New England, you know, were, were struggling. Now you've seen him come back. I think he's probably got two more years left. But to think you can continue to 45, 46 years old, I think that's going to be very difficult. There are a couple stories around the league, John, that are catching everybody's attention. How surprised were you that the Rams and Lions pulled off that trade for not elite quarterbacks, but certainly high-level, big-name quarterbacks who'd, who'd been invested in? How surprised were you by that, and, and how much is it going to change those two teams' fortunes? Or did they just exchange problems and ceilings? Well, De- Detroit's not going to be very good, so it's like that doesn't change the fortune of them. It gives them the chance to, over a couple of years, build with the two first-round picks and a third-round pick. You know, the Rams, I mean, as the weeks were going on after the season and after eliminating from the playoffs, I mean, you got the idea that Sean McVay was totally fed up with Jared Goff and wanted to move on. And so now uh, he gets a better quarterback in Matthew Stafford. But the problem's going to be they've got $42.2 million tied up in dead money for Goff and $20 million included in the salary for Stafford. And that's going to really hurt their chances of keeping some of their players in free agency because now they're $35 million over $180 million cap. If that's what it's going to be, that's third worst in the league. And so they're going to have to you know, cut some guys on the offensive line. They're going to have to maybe lose uh, Leonard Floyd, maybe lose John Johnson, their safety. So that's, it's going to hurt the overall roster, but it certainly helps the offense and help, gives them a much better quarterback. So the Saints are an interesting team in our market because of Taysom Hill and obviously the connection with BYU and you're looking like Drew Brees is going to step aside. So we're all wondering as far as is Taysom Hill capable of being a starting quarterback in the NFL? What are you hearing? I really question it. I mean, you can see that they want to bring back uh, Jameis Winston. I think there's going to be competition from Chicago and a few other teams as far as Jameis, but I think that he'll want to go back. Uh, you know, Taysom is a, a good you know, a guy. You can see he was able to win the games against bad teams, but is he good enough to win against the good teams? And then, of course, the other problem is going to be that the Saints are $100 million over the cap, and so uh, what kind of team are they going to be able to field this year? So I think that there's no question he's going to be on the team. Maybe he's going to be doing a little bit more uh, than he did when Breeze is healthy. But I still think right now the guy that they want to bring back to start is going to be Jameis Winston. The league is more interesting when Bill Belichick has a really good team. Even if you don't like him, it's fun to hate him. How quickly can Belichick build a playoff team in New England? Uh, until he gets a quarterback, it's going to take some time. I mean, you, you saw that they brought in Cam Newton. That only netted him six wins. And uh, Cam just wasn't good enough, at least uh, with all the problems he's had with injuries in the past, to be able to uh, do well and get this team back on top. But they have to totally rebuild the receiving core tight end, and they didn't do that last year. I mean, they'll be better because they had eight opt-outs that will be at least available for them. And that you could keep the defense together, but they've got to do a lot of work on that offense. So we all recognize Aaron Rodgers as the NFL MVP, as you said earlier, and there's been commotion coming out of Green Bay about his future. Jordan Love, Utah State kid, waiting in the wings. My thought is there's no way that Green Bay can let Aaron Rodgers get away. How about that situation? 
Yeah, I think they they because uh, I like what uh, was said by TJ Lang that uh, you know Rogers is in in the revenge mode for the organization, and by revenge he's still bitter over two things: one, they traded up to get Jordan Love, and two, they didn't get him any extra receivers tight ends or any help on the offense and what he's is all in on the idea is like hey i want to be ending my career in the packers and play maybe four or five more years and now you bring in a quarterback and you figure okay i'm going to be out of here in another year or two and that's not good so i think what he's going to do is going to ask for a contract extension and if that's going to be the case they may have to consider trading jordan love but you can see there's a bitterness there. But again, to the point where they trade him, they can't trade him. It's too much of a cap hit, and he's too valuable. Hmm. Well, John, we appreciate a few minutes and, uh, and a little Super Bowl talk. Thanks for uh, coming on and talking to NFL with us. Okay, thank you. There's John Clayton. We appreciate his time. Washington Post, 710 ESPN in Seattle, talking all things NFL and all things Super Bowl. When we come back, the Joe Ingles Show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles joins us every week, usually on Thursdays. But with games on Thursday and Friday, he made the rare Wednesday appearance. Here's our conversation with Joe. He'll drop in a few last nights referencing the win over Detroit. But you get the point. Here's Joe. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic. And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK. And it is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. It should be welcome Joe and his friends and his little friends, DJ and PK. <laughs> Your assistance. <laughs> uh, the Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union. Well, Joe, we always talk about it's nice if you can win before you come on because it's so much more fun and you're in a better mood. Was there any point in that Detroit game where you thought it was going to get away and 28 points uh, went uh, down to four uh, and they had the ball? Uh, no. That <laughs> a kid. I didn't. Um, no, I mean, it's I've said that a million times and, and it probably it, it probably – is is more this year than than any other previous years. I, I mean, we're playing we're playing against NBA teams. There's, there's really good players on every team, um, and even more this year. I mean, we've obviously got probably more of a target on our back with our record and the way we've been playing and the streak we had and all that. Obviously, teams know the level that, that we're playing at, and and, got, and teams and players and individuals and coaches are ready for us. So. Um, 
I mean, as you guys know, no lead in the NBA is really that safe um, until kind of the end of the game. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's well, we, we're going to get every team's best shot and um, it's a good thing for our group. We, we, we kind of learn. I don't think we weren't focused or anything last night in, in patches. I think we, I mean, they got more physical at one point and, and made some shots. We missed some shots in a row and, and they went on a little run. And I mean, a lot of it's um, a game of runs and we were able to obviously kind of with, withheld that. And we, we were lucky that we played well early on as well to get that lead. But um, yeah, another, another good win against a, a good kind of competitive team. I think that's a real important point. You know, you have the best record in the league today. You didn't have it yesterday, but you had it a couple of days before that. But the point being, you are one of the better teams in the league, and guys in the league know who those teams are. So what does this team need to do to make sure that it's matching the intensity because you are going to get everybody's best shot now? Yeah, Um uh, I mean, it's easy from a kind of competitive standpoint because regardless of who we're playing or our record or whatever it is, we obviously want to win as many games as possible. So um, as a as a player and a competitor, and um, it, it's really not that hard. I, I think it's there's different times and games and situations where you, you, you're more tired or, or whatever with, with the schedule and you've, you've got to kind of find a find another level to, to help kind of pick you up a little bit but uh, I mean I've said it this year a few times we've got this kind of extra motivation to just keep getting better and better and we we want to just <laughs> we want to win as many games as possible and that's we're going to win ugly we're, we're going to win pretty sometimes we're, we're going to have games that are close we're going to have 30 point leads at times it's going to be all different situations and I think we've kind of had a lot of them already in the first 20 odd games and, and we've been able to handle the majority of them apart from a couple kind of early on so um, yeah just staying kind of that, that competitive keep getting better uh, mindset and like I said we'll, we'll, we'll just keep finding different ways to win different guys are going to step up different guys are going to play well at different times and um, we, we've just got to be ready like you said we've got to be ready for everyone's best shot they're going to be they're going to be ready for us, whether it's they get to play against Rudy or they get to play against Donovan or because of our record or, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, we've got, we've got to be switched on every night. You know, I thought, and, and I know you can be a little self-deprecating, you know, you were fortunate and you played well early, but I, I didn't think it was an accident. I thought it it probably, there's a little urgency after the Denver game, but I thought you guys were really sharp and crisp early on. Guys were cutting hard with a purpose, and nobody was passing up open shots. Guys, if they were open, they were taking it and, and largely making it. How much did you feel a little sense of urgency because of just a single loss in the last 12 games? For sure. No, it was... I don't think you ever want to like overthink it or, or like one loss doesn't make us a, a bad team or one win doesn't make us a, the, the best team ever. Like it's finding that balance of, of what, what we need to do each day to, to keep getting better and better. And um, I mean, you look at that Denver game and obviously we didn't play great more on the defensive end. I think we still had 120 points or something like that. We still... We still scored the ball, um, even though we didn't shoot as well as we thought or, or whatever it was. But it was a few things defensively that we, we obviously could have done better, giving up one 
whatever it was, 130 or whatever it was. So um, you, you don't overthink it. We, we, I don't think no one was kind of down in the dumps or, or anything. But, yeah, it just makes you – I mean, it makes you want to play right away. We, we probably could have played – a game right after that Denver game and probably beat anybody. Like, you, you just feel that urge to, to want to get out there and fix the mistakes you had and, like, you, you think of, obviously, yourself or what you could have done more. And uh, I think the guys were, were, were just excited. Obviously, the, it was only one game, but just to, to get back home again, play in front of our, our fans um, or, or the, the fans that we can have in there and um, knew it was a, an important game before we, we obviously head, head out today again on another little trip. So you talk about playing right away. You look at February. There's 28 days. You got 14 games. There's nothing you can do about it because you're going to have to play those games either way. But what do you think about that as far as this many games in such a short duration? I know you have to embrace it, but you feel like you're physically prepared for it? Yeah, and I think what helps our team and um, – there's probably not a lot of teams, but we're, we are so deep as well. We've seen, obviously, different nights that different guys have been out for, for whatever reasons, and, and Mia's come in, uh, Juan's come in. We, we've had different guys um, have to come in and kind of play play different roles. I've gone and started and played more minutes or whatever the situation is. So um, I think, I mean... I don't want to look into the future too far, but I'm sure at some point in those games, guys' minutes or fouls or, or, or fatigue, like whatever it is, depending on the situation, it, 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 we've got the luxury to be able to throw 12 guys, however many guys coach needs to throw out there to give, give more rest or, or depending on the situation. So we're, we're pretty lucky with that. Um, and like you said, I mean, Obviously, we don't get a choice. You, you get the schedule you're given, and you, you figure it out around that. And we're uh, on the other side of that too. We're also really lucky that we've got. Obviously, I'm biased, very biased, but we've got the best medical and health team. We've got one of the best facilities with recovery and all that. So, so our guys are super professional with with staying on top of the, the things we need to do to be obviously as close to 100 percent and healthy and non-fatigued as, as possible. Joe Ingles join us on the Joe Ingles Show. His little assistant's happy to be able to pop in just for a minute <laughs> while Joe's greatness is on display. And Joe, here's something, especially this year, I really don't know how this operates because the NBA's changing so much with all the COVID rules. So you go on the yeah. road here and you're going to play Atlanta. Now, you'd seen Detroit before, so at least you had a previous game of experience against them. But you haven't seen Atlanta. Normally, you'd have a practice, you'd get on the plane, but you're playing so many games, Quinn may not want to practice. And then, normally, you'd have a shoot-around, but I know with the testing and early in the morning, that gets hard to do. So what is the prep? How do you know, hey, these are their guys, these are a couple of their favorite sets and what they like to do, these guys have these tendencies. Where do you get all that info? Because I can't imagine Quinn's letting you fly blind, but I can't imagine Imagine you're prepping like you normally do either. Uh, first thing is, you're incorrect. We have played Atlanta already, um, but we haven't played Charlotte and, and whatever. But That was what I meant. Um, Bigger picture, Joe. Sorry I screwed up your show. <laughs> um, and the other thing that you said, which is, is correct, is Quinn will not let us go in underprepared. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a fine balance of kind of figuring it out and Quinn's told us 
kind of from the start of the year and different times throughout the year that, that, that he'll pick and choose when we when we or when he thinks it's necessary to have a shoot around or, or not. Obviously, um, like you said, I mean, today we fly at a, eleven or something like that. We got a test. Like I, I went in and tested at seven thirty this morning to then be able to take Miller to school and then get home for a little bit before obviously taking off again. So it's it, it's different routines. Um, like you said, same on the road. Like we have to test and get our results back before we can leave our rooms. So we have to walk down to like a, a ballroom or whatever, do our test, go back to our room until we get our results back, and then we can go to shoot around. So, like you said, it's like if we have a 10 o'clock shoot around, it takes a couple of hours to do our test. They've got to go to an offsite, um, usually to the other team's facility or whatever, to run the test which depending on where you are in the city, it could take hours, like if you're in a bigger city. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I, I think, again, we've, we, we do have a veteran and, and professional team that um, knows teams, knows players. We get a lot of stuff through, um, like, Zoom or email or whatever. Like, our, they'll text the slides of players or, or teams, Um a part of it is also obviously us just knowing the teams and players as well. I think we, you've been uh, a lot of our guys, main guys. Um, I mean, even the, the younger guys have been in a couple of years now. So, so you do know guys' tendencies a little bit more. And um, the one thing I guess we can do all the time is we can we can watch film kind of anywhere really. Um, we can watch it via Zoom if we have to. Um, I think LA or something was a rule. I don't know if the rule's still there, but when we first went to LA, you could only have 10 guys in a room at, or like the capacity of 10 people in a room. So that's kind of half our team. So we, we did it different ways. And I guess one of the things we've embraced this year is just being very fluid with the, the scheduling and, and what can happen and not. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you said, and... I can reiterate, Quinn is definitely not going to let us go in underprepared. So we we figure it out each trip and each game what the best way to prepare is. And um, well, we've been really good at just kind of locking in on those like smaller details of what that stuff um, really means in a, in a year like this. Like I said, you can't go to shoot around and walk through play. So making sure we lock in on a film session so that we are as prepared as we can going into a, a game. So I'm not going to ask you to brag on yourself because after seven years, I know that's a waste of time. You are now the franchise record holder in three-pointers made. Rather than just talk about that, what I do want to ask you is what does it mean to you as you – you're not done yet, obviously, but at this point to make a vital contribution to the franchise? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. I – I haven't honestly thought about it too much. And uh, me and Renee and I spoke a le- about it a little bit at home and stuff, but it was just kind of like that. Like, se- I mean, seven years ago, there was there was zero, te- well, one team, obviously, but at the time, zero teams that wanted me. And the the Millers, Dennis and, and Quinn, um, obviously gave me a chance and, and brought me in here. And obviously, I'll be forever grateful for, for the Millers and, and the front office and Quinn obviously um, to, to give me that chance because I was uh, I don't know, 24 hours away from getting on a flight and going back to, to Australia and playing in the NBL probably um, 
so obviously very very lucky and, uh, and I obviously realised that, that that the opportunity they gave me and then to to have a coach um, I've talked about obviously Quinn a lot um, throughout my years on here and, and not how good he is as a coach and all that but just how good a person he is too to he genuinely cares, obviously not just about me, about every player that's been here in some capacity for however long they've been here. He's taken the time to get to know him and, and puts in that effort, and it, and it makes you want to do everything you can to play for the guy. And he cares about us. Like, he asks about Renee and the kids more than he asks about how I'm feeling. So to have a coach that that's like that, and then with all that, it, it obviously makes you want to repay him and the franchise. And, and for me, it was... I've said it before, I was on that non-guaranteed and I was was not going to let that kind of slip up and, and let that go. And I was obviously lucky to make the team and then sign a two-year deal. And um, I guess, again, kind of lucky through a little bit of luck with, with injuries and stuff. Um, I got thrown in the starting five for a finals or my first playoff series. And we beat the Clippers. We go on this little run. Um, and it's just kind of, the evolution kind of every year has been something a little bit different but um, honestly I've every day every game practice whatever it is I've really just tried to obviously give everything I possibly can to to try and repay the Millers the the franchise for for the opportunity they gave me so um, I mean seven years ago I never would have thought I mean I never thought I would have been here still to be honest with you um but to, to, to then break a record and then obviously for it to be a record held by a guy that was here for so long and he is, he is the Utah Jazz when you, you think of the franchise. So, um, yeah, pretty special. I, I Like I said, I haven't overthought about it. This is probably the most I've talked about it since it happened. Um, probably in the, the future years coming up, I'll, I'll think about it more. But, I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest, Donovan's going to steal it off me and... I already said as soon as as soon as Donovan makes like a bunch of threes in a game, I'm gonna blast him in the media and say that he's selfishly just doing it to take my record. So um, no, it's a, I mean it is an honour. Like I, I'm slightly proud, um, and like you said, I don't I don't really like talking about myself too much, but it is it is something that's pretty cool that I, I honestly never thought would happen. So yeah, a massive obviously a massive thanks to. To the Millers again, and, and Dennis and Quinn, and and the fans who were yelling at me to shoot when I was twenty feet open in my first year, and I was scared <laughs> to shoot. Um, but yeah, we got there. So let's ask you more to let's ask you to brag about yourself on some more since you, since you're already in a role and you're in the groove. But I think this is important. I think this is important, and PK will say this till he's blue in the face. But you have more stature than PK and I combined by a mile and a half. So maybe it'll mean more coming from you. But PK worked with people who've made it very big in the media, and he remembers when they were answering phones, taking in high school scores, like the lowest level entry job, and now they work for ESPN and they're big shots, right? And and the fact that you have to work all the time. You said you were lucky and fortunate, and I don't doubt that you were. But I also think there's a foundation of hard work in there. What do you think you did in Spain or in Israel that 
caught Quinn's eye when he was coaching overseas, or caught the eye of an international scout and mentioned something to Dennis, or that Dennis saw on film, or I don't know, maybe he was over there and saw yourself, that made them want to call you after the Clippers cut you. Because there had to be something like, and you're okay, you're tall, and you got a long arm, so you got that. But what do you think you <laughs> did? Hey, they look for that. If you'd been 6'1", you might not have gotten the call. you know. True. But you're not, so you got it. But there still had to be something you did that caught their eye, or they wouldn't have called you when you were down in the dumps in L.A. and you were waiting on Ronay to uh, to fly into town. Yeah, I mean, it, um, honestly, I don't. I'd be, be a good question to one day. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to know the answer right now while I'm while I'm still playing for him. But um, I mean, it'd be something that I would. I'd love to to talk to them about when my career is over. Like, what exactly was it? Um, I think a part of it, like when you, uh, I've talked about this with you guys before, like every team, I mean, you've got your couple of superstars and, and apart from that, really, it's like finding role players that fit into a specific role for, for that group. And um, I think for me, I think knowing Quinn, uh, I'd say I know, knew Quinn before I came here, but playing against him, he, he was in Russia while I was in Barcelona and playing against him. So he would have seen me play a fair bit. And, um. I think that, like I, I honestly think they they knew. Uh, I think they saw something there. Like I I I feel like there was um, maybe some potential or whatever they saw. Obviously, I was a bit older, but something that that they thought they could work with that could could keep growing and, and getting better. And I felt like I had that in myself. I just never thought I was in the right situation to to really keep getting better. I was I, I played for massive teams and great teams and won a lot but I was I mean I was barely playing like I'm not ashamed to say that like I was I was barely playing I played a role uh, I did what I'm similar to what I, I have done here like I played a, a smaller role than what I have here but I played a role in Europe and um, coming here it was like the same kind of thing like I, I had to fit in I had to find a role uh, I think they, they like I said they saw something that they could work with um, but I think Quinn also knew that whatever he was going to ask me to do, I was going to try and do. And for your, whatever I was that first year or two, like 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever position spot on the roster you want to say, uh, I think he knew regardless of minutes or whatever, I was going to come to practice and do what I had to do. Uh, if I got an opportunity, I was obviously going to do my best. And, and at the end of the day, I wanted to win. And, and I think, Quinn, as we've seen, has built a winning culture at this franchise. Not that they hadn't had it in the past, but those the first few years I got here, we were winning 20 games or whatever. And, and it's hard to win in the NBA, and I think he, he he could have felt that I could help that and, and help be a leader in that, even though probably 75% of the locker room had no idea who I was when I first got here. Um <laughs> And like I said, again, I, I when I got here, I, I just felt like I had to repay them. And um, that's been kind of my mindset of just being locked in and, and trying to give them everything I can every night. And I mean, you guys know I've played some really crappy games and I've played some great games. Um, but I've, I've tried to leave it all out there every night and, and try and not entertain the fans, but give the fans a, a good show and let them enjoy the game and, and play to, to the highest level I can and um, like I said it's, it's been a good road like this is my retirement speech but um, <laughs> it's been it's been really fun and 
again, I mean, I never would have thought I would still be in this position. I never thought, honestly, like breaking a record. Like uh, I, Quinn, Quinn's been a big part of it. Quinn, Quinn's been a, a huge part of my development of, of getting me to this level and, and giving me the confidence to play at this level. Like I was, I mean, Quinn have talked about it. Like I was down in the dumps in Europe. Like I was, I was ready to just go back to the NBL and play in Australia because I was just kind of miserable and I, I didn't really want to play that badly. Um, and I mean, Quinn was Quinn's completely kind of turned that that feeling around, and now I feel like I could play forever. Like I, I feel like if he was my coach, I would just keep on finding a way to to be effective. Well, we'd love to have you brag on yourself some more, Joe, but you got to go. I know that, so we'll let you go. Thanks for coming yeah, on, and we'll talk to you again. Maybe before I get on this plane, you guys are asking me all these. It's the most serious question you've ever asked me seven years later. (laughs) Don't get used to it. I got a bunch of Valentine's Day questions for you next week. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Thanks, Joe. Skip next week. Thanks, guys. (laughs) All right. There's Joe Ingles. He joins us every week. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, a lot of basketball on tap tonight, and we will get to that next.